coming toward the end of our series, um, looking at spiritual disciplines. Um, we've titled it, uh, Believe It or Not, and kind of trying to examine some of the paradoxical uh, avenues, that seemingly paradoxical avenues that God provides for us, encourages us in. Uh, we kind of go one direction in order for God to do some things in us that we can't do for ourselves. That is really the nature of spiritual disciplines. And uh, t- next week will be our last uh, Sunday in this particular series. And today we look at the idea of self, um, uh, self-denial being the pathway toward life's satisfaction. And it's not what the world would share for us. It's not what uh, the world would have for us in understanding uh, what self-sacrifice and denial is about. I can't think of a better Sunday than a Sunday uh, celebrating parenthood uh, to think about self-sacrifice and self-denial and what it means to uh, give uh, and delay our own needs for the needs of others. Uh, Seeking satisfaction in life. You know, the world would tell us that uh, at least today, modern day, the, the two main uh, areas where the world seems to point, if we are looking to be truly and deeply satisfied in life, uh, the world would say to look out at uh, outside of yourself and look out at what the world has to offer. And often what, what the world says is to accumulate as much as you can because in the abundance of things... Satisfaction of life comes. One of my favorite posters as a child, my best friend had it uh, on his bedroom wall. And it was a, a large poster. It, had, um, it showed about a 10-car garage. Um, and uh, up above was this a massive house on the hill. And in front of each garage was this really expensive, fancy car. And, and in my, uh, my early teenage years, I thought, that, that's going to be my life one day. <laughs> because I know, obviously, that is what's going to deliver the greatest happiness and satisfaction to my life. The Atlantic Magazine, a couple years ago, published a list of lottery winners and some of the miseries that lottery winners have experienced over the decades. Because often, even with my children, we'll often amuse about, what, what if you could get three wishes from a genie? Or what would you do if, if you won the lottery or, or won a million dollars and it was just given to you? What would you do with it? And we often think, and we're, we're fooled in thinking, that if we just suddenly had a windfall of something, that then everything in our life would be okay and it would somehow make, make everything contented within and, and all of that. And it just, this article in the Atlantic uh, publication goes, through and lists all sorts of things uh, uh, that have happened, the miseries of many who have received hundreds of thousands, sometimes multiple millions of dollars in the lottery, things like uh, eventually finding poverty after spending through all of their money, or, or losing friends, or having arguments with co-workers, uh, ending up in debt after mismanaging all of the money, and ongoing stories of murder suicide, and just terrible endings. Not to say it always ends that way, but my point is that such a windfall and an accumulation of things does not equate contentedness, nor does it touch the deepest part of our our life's need to be truly satisfied. And Jesus offers something more satisfying 
than accumulating wealth. So that's what one of the messages I at least hear and continue to hear in our world. Uh, the other that I hear often is, well, maybe you don't look outside, but you need to look deeply inside yourself because only in looking deeply within will you come to a contented place of who you are to be really satisfied. I have to identify my inner cravings and follow hard after them. One of the, the great ways that this is uh, encouraged in our day is in pursuing a sense of uh, sexual expression and our own sexuality and that if I just identify and understand my inner inclinations and longings that uh, in that issue or any other issue, that that is the pathway to finding my fullest and deepest sense of life satisfaction. And Jesus offers a better source for life's contentment than just simply looking deeply within. But these two approaches to life are so predominant in our county, aren't they? Yet I at least am left asking, are those really what satisfies in life. Because in our county, Marin County, we continue to struggle with higher than national average rates of alcoholism and divorce and suicide. Many of you maybe are aware of what uh, transpired at Tam High School in recent days. It made the, the Bay Area news and about a year-end um, scavenger hunt that, that occurs, not a school-promoted uh, activity. It's something done uh, by uh, students. Some students participate, not all, of course, but uh, many were, were mortified at some of the things on the list, uh, things of sexual expression and sexual um, uh, things that, that were just unspeakable many times, uh, things of alcohol uh, abuse and drug abuse and criminal activity and all sorts of things were encouraged by some students for other students, all in a name, I don't know for what, but seeking, I guess, some sort of satisfaction at the end of a school year. I know growing up for me, as I wrestled with different parts of the scripture, I remember coming as I thought through this poster, you know, the ten cars, and thought, what what is it that's really going to satisfy my life when I'm at this point of my life? I'm older, I've I've lived through life, what's really going to satisfy? And I'm so glad to have had people to point me to the Scripture, because one of the Scriptures that that really resonated deeply, and and I wrestled with it for a lot of years, was 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Now listen. It says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So the temptation and and the things that that pull us and call to us to find our deepest sense of meaning and and belonging and satisfaction in things outside of God, God calls, Jesus comes along, and, and He reminds us what truly and deeply will satisfy in life. It's not by striving after the things the world offers. And it's not ultimately by looking deeply within myself. We are most deeply satisfied when we are satisfied in God. You and your life will be most deeply satisfied when you are most satisfied in God. 
And God has given you that opportunity when you personally connect with Him through Jesus. In John chapter 12, Jesus says this, and it's so helpful, so please hear the words of Jesus. He says, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a single grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. If you don't remember anything else in the minutes that we have to come, I do hope you'll remember this, is that a satisfied life is a multiplied life. A satisfied life is a life that multiplies itself out for the benefit of others. A satisfied life is not one that is lived for itself, but one that is lived in honor of Jesus and in guidance by Him. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We're going to begin reading just a few verses here in verse 23. This is Jesus. He's... Uh, been uh, training the, these early disciples, the twelve. He sent them out, and they've been doing some ministry. They they've been kind of wowed at what, what's going on and what God is doing. Jesus has fed five thousand people plus on a hillside. He takes and multiplies those fish and those loaves. There wasn't enough, but Jesus somehow made it enough, and people were satisfied in the feeding. And then he he. Uh, he asks the disciples, who, who is it that people are saying that I am? And they go into this conversation and finally Peter says, you are the Messiah, you're the, the awaited one. We've been waiting for you and you are God in the flesh. And then Jesus says this, if anyone, in verse 23, Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Jesus begins this little passage by saying, if anyone wants to come after me, that word wants literally is is to resolve in your mind and heart. It's to have a desire to, to move forward on purpose in a particular direction. You might remember in John chapter 1 when John the Baptist had gathered a, a, a group of Followers, He had been teaching and training them as a rabbi. And uh, John, when Jesus comes on the scene, he tells his own disciples, he says, look at Jesus and go and follow him. He said it this way, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, some of those disciples of John's began to take him seriously. And they said, oh, we're not supposed to follow John. He's telling us now to follow Jesus. And so they begin to do that. They begin to, to try to pattern their life after Jesus. And the picture that John gives us in chapter 1 is as Jesus is walking along, he turns around and he sees a couple following. And he asks this question. He says, what do you want? And it wasn't a question like this, what do you want? I don't think that's the tone he had. 
Because he's helping them evaluate what is priority, number one, in their life. So he's asking them, what is it that you're doing? What is it you're doing with your life? What is it you're doing with your worship life, your married life, your single life, your work life? What do you want? Because once you get a picture and a vision for the goodness and the beauty of Jesus in your life, you will learn and you will realize suddenly that nothing the world can offer and all of its empty promises, nothing compares to the wonder of living your life in a relationship with Jesus the Christ. Nothing. And so the image we should have when Jesus talks about the, the man who finds a treasure buried in the field, he doesn't own the field, but he gets so excited about the value of that treasure that he goes back home and he sells everything he has and he cashes all of his life in so that he can go and he can buy that field because what's in that field is that treasure. And Jesus is telling us that he's asking all of us, what is it that you want? And if you want the things of the world, then go after that. But it's never going to satisfy your life as deeply and as thoroughly as a relationship with Christ himself. And you begin to pattern your life after. That's what our passage is all about today. If anyone wants to come after me, if anybody has determined that, that nothing in the world even even compares remotely to the wonder of walking your life with Jesus, then come, follow me. If anyone wants to come after me, a satisfied life is a multiplied life. Unless that kernel of wheat falls to the ground, not living for itself, not living just for its own wants and desires, but if that kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, in its death it gives life to many. That, that's the point. A satisfied life is a multiplied life. If Jesus says, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself. These three words that we're going to spend just a couple of minutes on now are the three imperatives, the three, the three commands that Jesus gives out of this. If this is the life that you want, one of deepest human satisfaction, then you must do these three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. To deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. When we deny ourselves, it is an act of holy selflessness. You want to find your life? You want to find your deepest meaning in life? You want to find the deepest human satisfaction in life? Begin by throwing yourself with abandon into the calling of Jesus in your life. There's a reason that the Bible is filled with these, these at first glance paradoxical statements. Things like, the last shall be first. And Paul picks this idea up in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in everything, consider others better than yourself. And then he goes on to give us that great passage there. A satisfied life is a multiplied life. If anyone would come after me, let him or her deny themselves and take up their cross. To take up your cross. We, we have beautiful crosses now in stained glass. 
We have them in jewelry. And I think that's pretty cool because it's a great symbol and it reminds us of, of what, what we are doing and what is most important for us in our Christian life. But to a first century hearer, the idea of taking up the cross was strange because Jesus was talking about an instrument of execution, an instrument of humiliation, an instrument of suffering and shame, an instrument of death. And so what is he talking about when he says, take up your cross? I don't think he means to literally uh, get a scale model of a cross and carry it down the road. Have you ever done that? I've not. I don't think that's what he's talking about. What I do think he's talking about is learning to identify your life and to live your life in the way that Jesus would live your life if he were in your shoes. Does that make sense? So if he went to your workplace, how would Jesus work in your office? If Jesus sat at your desk and he had your job, what would he do and how would he do it? If Jesus was in your family, how would he treat your brother or your sister? How would he treat you or your husband or your wife? How would he treat your roommate, your housemate? How would he do it? To take up your cross... And to follow me, Jesus says, that we learn to sacrificially engage life and to lovingly engage life and to faithfully do so and joyfully taking up the cross as adopting a child with a club foot out of poverty in India. Taking up the cross can look like Robert McQuilkin, who in 1990 resigned from his job as president of Columbia International University in order to be with his wife. He was eight years from retirement, but his wife had been suffering with Alzheimer's and had gotten to the point where she was literally terrorized when he wasn't with her. And so he left his job to go and be with his wife. And when he did that, this is what he said. He said, when the time came, the decision was firm. It took no great calculation. It was a matter of integrity. Had I not promised 42 years before... In sickness and in health, till death do us part. This was no grim duty to which I stoically resigned, however. It was only fair. She had, after all, cared for me for almost four decades with marvelous devotion. Now it was my turn. And such a partner she was. If I took care of her for 40 years, I would never be out of her debt. That's a picture, I believe, of taking up the cross of Jesus and following Him. Taking up the cross may be standing firm in your convictions with gentleness and respect to other people even when they falsely accuse you or insult you because you are an ambassador of Jesus out in the world. That's a picture of taking up your cross and doing it daily. It doesn't say seasonally. It doesn't say when the mood hits you. To take up your cross daily. That means in your daily living. That means in the everyday parts of your life. That you take your cross, you identify like Jesus does. And you do your best to invite Him into your life. And you let Him transform you so that in every encounter, in every relationship, in every responsibility, Jesus is coming out of you. That's life change. That's the reason we engage in spiritual disciplines like self-denial. Because it leads to things that Jesus will do in us that He can't do 
without self-denial at times. You see, a satisfied life is a multiplied life. A life that is not focused on myself, but is focused on Jesus and through Jesus on others. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him or her take deny himself and to take up her cross and to come and follow me. To follow Jesus. Now, if you're somewhere that's strange to you, you're in unfamiliar territory, and you need to get somewhere, and you don't know where to go or how to get there, but you're with somebody who knows the lay of the land, and you're with somebody who's willing to take you where you need to go, what's the smart thing to do? Follow them. You got it. You follow them, right? My kids, and I know many others, love playing Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. It's a video game. For those of you uninitiated, shame on you. I'm teasing. I I got coached on how to say this just right, so I I hope I do, do well. You have a character. It's an adventure game. You have a character. His name's Link. And Link has been asleep for over 100 years And he wakes up and he's forgotten his memory. He doesn't know the lay of the land anymore. He doesn't know how to get across the hills and to the places he needs to go. But, but there's help. There's somebody who will lead him across to where he needs to go. It's the Princess Zelda. And Princess Zelda gives him a Sheikah slate. Yeah. (laughs) And the Sheikah slate is like its instructions and, and she's with them along the way. Because without her and the guidance she gives, you know what? Lake is lost. He is utterly lost because he's forgotten where he needs to go and how to get there. And he needs guidance. He would be a fool not to use the Sheikah slave and to use the instruction that Princess Zelda gives him. And so you and I, we, I am a fool when I try to live my life apart from the guidance of Jesus because he knows the lay of the land. And without him, I'm lost. And so we need to learn to follow. If anyone would come after Christ, let us deny ourselves and to take up our crosses daily and go and follow him. I remember being in Uganda several years ago. And we're on the islands that ring the northern part of Lake Victoria, the Bavuma Islands. And I was with someone, and we're walking from one village to the next. No GPS, no phone, no maps. I had no idea where I was going. But I had one with me who knew the way. What do you think I did? I followed. (laughs) I may not be smart, but I'm not that dumb. I followed the man who knows. You know why? Because he knew where the snakes lived. No kidding. And when we walked at night, he was the one with the flashlight. And so I walked with him because he knew where to go. We follow the one who knows the way. We follow the one who knows the way. When Susan and I went to the town hall meeting that Tam High School called, there were about 60 or so parents gathered with administrators to talk about the scavenger hunt. And a lot of ideas, it was really an open conversation, a lot of ideas were, were uh, offered as to what, how to address uh, change and how to, how to create a culture there that might be different. And, 
And uh, I love Susan's response. At one point, we got into some smaller groupings of about 25 or so, and and people are talking about some ideas were good, better than others, I think. And um, finally, she she just spoke up. She said, you know, my, my biggest concern is that we're focused on the outward behavior of the students of this high school, and we're not helping them really focus on the heart of what shapes a life and a heart that, that helps their behavior flow from. I thought, that's right on. Tell them. <laughs> that's what they need. And that's the burden of our hearts and my heart for this county. Is because there are people that, that search out for satisfaction in Everywhere it seems, but in Jesus. And I don't know why. I don't know why. But I know it's not going to satisfy them the way that Jesus can. And I know their, their hunger and their thirst will remain apart from Jesus. And it's not that I or the church has every answer to every question or issue, but we point them to the one who does. And that's Jesus. This is our mission field, brothers and sisters. Our mission field and our engagement starts here. Yes, we're sending a team to Poland. And yes, we must support them. And yes, we've got to pray for them. But we also have a mission here to help demonstrate to the world in Marin County that a satisfied life is a life multiplied into the, into the work of God, into the work of the gospel of Jesus, and into the lives of other people. That is our calling. I want to leave you with one last slide. And you may want to take a picture of this. I can email this out if you want. But just to give you some tangible things. Well, gosh, this, this may be interesting to talk about self-denial. So how do I actually do it in real practice? Richard Foster gives us ten thoughts. He... This is in his chapter on simplicity, which I think has a lot to do and a lot of similar parallels with what we're talking about with self-denial. And I just want to read them. You can see them there behind me. Number one, buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. Think about the brands and whatever you're buying and ask, just ask yourself why. Why do I need this instead of this? And just, just go through the good practice. Number two, reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. Reject anything producing an addiction in you. Three, develop a habit of giving things away rather than accumulating, but give it away. Four, refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. Now, that to my ear is kind of a strange sentence. <laughs> I think what he means is don't be overwhelmed or fooled by the marketing machine around us. Right? Practice discernment. I know we do that. Uh, Number five, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Number six, develop a deeper appreciation for creation. Boy, we live in a great place of the world to enjoy God's great creation. Number seven, look with a healthy skepticism at all buy now, pay later schemes. Right? This, is, this could be called the Wimpy Syndrome. You remember Wimpy and Popeye? I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Um, it's sort of that similar idea. Buy now, pay later. Obey Jesus' instructions about plain, honest speech. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. 
9. Reject anything that breeds the oppression of others. 10. Shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. Now, I think Richard Foster would tell Bryce Butler to not seek Bryce's kingdom first. What do you think Richard Foster would say to you? What do you think Jesus is saying to you? About learning to deny ourselves so that we can take up our crosses daily. So identifying with Jesus in every facet of our life. And in so doing, we learn to follow Him because He knows the way. He knows the way even when and especially because we are lost without Him. Father, we do pray today that we would be people who know what a satisfied life leading to a multiplied life is all about. Help us to live such a life and to not be fooled or to not allow substitutes to come into our living. There are false promises around us that claim deep wisdom, that claim deep satisfaction if we would just engage in them and So often they're dead ends and they're traps and they ruin our lives. They deceive us and it messes things up. And yet you've come and spoken clearly into our lives and you've called us to yourself and to following you. And you've said that you are the good shepherd who knows the way. You will help us navigate through dark, scary seasons of life. Because you know where the real green pastures are on the other side. So, give us the wisdom to follow you. Help us to be people who have determined to come after you by denying ourselves and taking up daily our crosses and following you. Help us. We need you to help us and to guide us now. Give us the strength we need and the courage we need and the renewed sense of of gumption to follow you with fervency. We pray, Jesus, now in your name and for your sake, we ask it together. Amen. Amen. We have one last song to sing. And while we sing that, I want to invite you, if you aren't really certain that you for yourself have understood or have lived your life up to this point, knowing what it is to deny yourself and to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. And you'd like to begin a conversation of just exploring what what does that really mean for you. I'm going to be standing here at the front while we sing. While we're singing, you're welcome to come and join me here at the front and we'll begin that conversation. Let's uh, stand together, find number 434, and let's sing together. Mm